Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Joining us on the podcast today is economist and author Linda Nazareth. She discusses the shifting tides of Canada's economy and how factors such as technological advancements and climate change are altering the future of work. She says AI is causing huge changes and it's time as individuals and a society to start changing with technology. She adds organizations need to be constantly on top and looking for what they need. This means hiring people, retraining them, and figuring out how to make employees stay with them long-term. Linda explains to host Pamela Ritchie that there are two primary ways to boost productivity, either have people work longer hours or invest more in advanced technology to increase output. She adds companies must change the climate of work and avoid a toxic work environment to get the best performance out of employees. Linda says investing in machines that boost productivity are essential, in addition to re-educating workers as they get older. This episode was recorded on July 26, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. We're going to be talking about the future of work, how things are shifting, altering across the economy, just sort of broadly on the future of work. Aren't we in it? I mean, isn't this, haven't we arrived? We're back at the office. It's hybrid. Is this it? I think we're in the early stages, Pamela. I think we had one reality before the pandemic, one during the pandemic, and we had these rules, you're going to be in the office two days a week, and we're going to have to rethink that. We're also going to have to rethink whether everyone's going to work at an office, so we're going to have a lot more gig work at different levels. So I think these are really early days. So bring in, we've got sort of broadly the demographics to discuss, the technological changes allowed us to even have such considerations. We'll also fold in climate concerns on sort of the economic level of how this country is dealing with floods. We have massive amounts of fires across British Columbia, through Alberta. So all of these tied together. Is is there sort of, I mean, what would you call this time? Is it, Are we just in flux at the moment? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, there's these mega trends that we knew about before the pandemic before the century started, honestly, but they're really coming to the fore right now. Now we have this aging population, as you said, we're trying to figure out what that means. We have huge tech changes. And I've been talking about this for so long, but I think it's finally right in front of us that AI is absolutely changing everything. And then climate is right in front of us too. As you said, this summer, if you hadn't been aware of it before, don't wanna go on vacation to Nova Scotia right now. And you're thinking, how hot will it be if I go to Italy? And all these other considerations. So yes, it's a time to plan as individuals, but really as a society too. As a society. Well, this is really interesting. So let's, let's go to sort of the demographic discussion. Canada, is it fair to say we have a less politicized immigration policy than other countries? I mean, it does seem that there is some 
sort of agreement that we need immigration. And it's happening. And it's a big, pretty bold policy move. Is it going to work? You know, that's the question. I think, first of all, if we didn't have immigration, let's make it clear, the population is not growing. We have people living longer. We don't have a whole lot of births, I mean, compared to what we had in the 50s or 60s. Uh, and we are just getting older and population would decline. So you do need people in. Um, you know, years are going to be different. We're going to have years with lots of people. We're going through a stage like that right now. But over time, it's not going to make that much difference to the labor force. I mean, it is. We're still going to get labor force growth 1 1.3, 1 1.4, 1.5% maybe. But 20, like in the 70s, it was probably two and a half percent. So it's not tons of people who come in and show up and say, I'll do anything, you know, just give me a job. You're still going to have a problem getting the right people. The right people, and let's even go into sort of the training. So it's not a magic bullet. I mean, nothing ever really is. How can it be guided? The immigration, per yes. se? I mean, and making it sort of work for the economy, essentially? Well, you, first of all, I don't think Canada should be completely complacent that we're going to get exactly who we want all the time. Lots of parts of the world are industrializing. They want to hold on to the skilled people they have, and they want to attract people. I'm thinking about Asia. You know, China at one point had tons of younger people. Now they don't necessarily, and they'd like to hold on to the skilled people they have. So we're going to be competing with a lot of parts of the world. In terms of training, I think that's a broader question. Yeah. I think we have to be open to training as a workforce, as a country, uh, not just for people coming in, but for everybody. And this is a huge, huge issue because there's no, no such thing as a static set of skills, right? This yeah. is continuous change ahead. Continuous change and, and therefore some version of a re-education or, or how would you term that? Like what do we do with the education piece? Continuous education, okay. I guess. Uh, continuous retraining. And that brings up lots of questions too because who's going to do it? You can say it's the individual. Okay. And that tends to be the case when you go through college and university for the first time. But as people get older, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be organizations. It's got to be government. It's got to be individuals, but maybe it's also unions. Uh, it's There's a lot of parts to this if we are going to continue to grow and continue to have the right people in place. Right. It's fascinating. So, so if we go back to sort of all the different pieces of where the future of work goes. With the hybrid model, you don't have to live in a very, very expensive city. We can put housing aside just for a second because it's a great conversation. But, but the idea that this massive country might be able to handle a workforce that isn't as centralized in cities and towns, I mean, does that help, I guess? It helps in some ways, but we haven't figured out what we want from the future of work, right? Most organizations, or many, are saying, we'll come in two days a week. Well, that means you can't really live in the Atlantic provinces and work in Toronto, right? right? Some are toying with other models. But as I said, I think we're going back and forth in this one. So people are figuring out where can they live and realistically think they continue to be employed. And we're in such early days. I mean, we're talking about working for organizations. I think there's going to be a lot of people who don't necessarily work for one organization, right. right? Who perhaps will be able to take their skills and work for lots of others. Now, that raises lots of questions. Yeah. Uh, you need security. your financial security mm -hmm. for that. So you need to manage your money, have help managing your money for that, figure out a future where maybe you don't have work 12 months of the year, maybe it's eight. And, you know, other occupations have done this for a long time. If you sure. look at, say, seasonal. actors, yeah. right? seasonal, uh, um, actors, they've had yes. unions, uh, not just actors, but like the tech guys, uh, the makeup people, yeah. they're part of a union too who helps them through the ebbs and flows. So I think lots of people need to think about what it might look like if things aren't, you know, 
the nine to five, stay in the same place for decades kind of job. It's fascinating. So as you say, the security component, I mean, you're speaking to advisors yes. right now who, who would help their clients do just that. Is there, is there anything perhaps that advisors might want to just kind of keep in the back of their mind if they're, if they're advising to people who increasingly are working for themselves or, or putting, you know, together some security from various different funds in, in a different way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a conversation to have because yeah. some people will do it voluntarily and some people do it involuntarily, yeah. right? That they may be with a big organization and it may not work out that they stay as long as they want to. They're still going to be able to work as consultants or putting together their own business, but maybe they should be prepared for that. Maybe they should be thinking, my career won't be this thing that I... I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. It'll go through lots of different iterations. What do I need to do financially to be ready for that? Right. Fascinating. It's really fascinating. Productivity in this country has, has always been a discussion point. It's low. It seems we've been trying to kickstart that for a long, long time. Interest rates seem to be one solution. Didn't really work. Give us your thoughts on productivity, where, where again, future of work might want to go on this front. It, it is a really complicated question, Pamela, yeah. because there's two ways to grow productivity. One is to have more people working or have them working more hours. And the other is to use tech to boost the output from every hour you work. So presumably we have to do both. But you know, there's lots of things you can do. You can get rid of red tape. You can encourage innovation. You can change tax credits around that. But basically, it's about investing in things that will make you more productive. On the human side of this, it's partly about education. Yeah. It's partly like universities, switching well, programs, colleges. Well, in colleges and universities, really more about skills than any particular program, right? Right. Right. Okay. And as we said, continuous reskilling and, you know, having the right people. I mean, even in the midst of economic slowdowns, we hear companies saying we can't find the people we want. Mm. And what is that? What is that? You know, there's different theories on this. One mm. is that we haven't trained the right people. But I hear a lot that companies say we don't have time to train. We need to have exactly the right person parachuted in. Mm -hmm. And if we do train, then they may go to our competitors. So we have to be careful about that, too. Right. And that's a mindset. And it's a North American mindset, I think, more than European, where training has kind of been more of a tradition. So it's more the apprenticeship yes, model. And, more or less, yeah. yeah. Here, it's, there's a lot of fear that I'm going to lose it to somebody else. So that's part of it. It's, it is interesting that we, so many industries, and also it's demographics, Yes. right? It's yeah, just it's not enough it. people. And you can take something like truck drivers, where there's an average age that keeps rising. You just have an older workforce. And although some people come in, they're not replacing them. Another one is pilots, where pilots have a pretty That's high That's terrifying. Average. There's <laughs> such a demand. Well, there is. And during the pandemic, a lot of airlines, particularly in the U.S., said, okay, we have these guys sitting around. They're older. Let's offer them you know, pension packages now. So they took them. And now you need pilots. You can't train them overnight. No, of course. So, yes, yeah. get ready to you know, wait on the tarmac. Yeah. Professor, first me a little bit. When you look at, let's let's dive into the really fun interest rate inflation story for a second here. So when we have we've got the inflation that we've got right now, we've got interest rates doing what they're doing, trying to trying to fight it. Maybe I'll ask you to what degree you think that's going well. But also, where is sort of the stimulus needed? Maybe not from an interest rate cut, but where do you see stimulation of the economy needed? But first, for your thoughts on sort of. Are we fighting inflation? Is it happening? Well, it is. I mean, we got inflation down from, you know, we, we thought it was going to be double digit levels. We've got it down to 
like six, seven, eight percent, and some measures, some more like four to five. There's lots of different things you can look at. We haven't got it down to two percent. No. Right. So the last couple of percentage points are going to be the, the difficult ones to achieve. And it's a question whether you need to raise rates much more. Hopefully not. In Canada, it looks like we may be done with this. The mm -hmm. U.S. Presumably, we'll go one more time and then wait and see. But I think it's been a surprise to central bankers that it has been this difficult to do this. Yeah. I will say, though, to give us all a little bit of hope, it seems like we're doing this without triggering a massive recession. Yeah, you know, very the, interesting. Yeah. So that is you know, the fabled soft landing. Maybe it's happening this time. Yeah, fascinating. So in terms of stimulus, you probably just mentioned them. You know, It needs to go to certain types of training, education, and so on. It's is there anything else on the productivity level to sort of stimulate the economy that you know just hasn't either hasn't been tried or hasn't been implemented properly? I think if you ask people, they'd say that the tax regime isn't yeah. favorable to them, uh, that it takes too long to get a patent through. It there's too much red tape. It's hard to bring in uh, the supplies you need because. Well, so we know we saw this so a couple of yeah. years ago, right? Through the pandemic, supply chains are difficult. Uh, it's hard to bring in the people you want at exactly the right time. So there's things we can try and fix. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting. When we go into the myriad of climate concerns that, that are obviously here, they are also part, I mean, depending on who you're listening to and, and, and what the grand scheme is, climate change and, and programs to, to alter it, to stem it and so on, are also part of sort of the economic future. Mm -hmm. To how, how do you how do you see that helping? And then there's some that will say that will just be immediately you know inflationary. I, I, where do you kind of land on this? Are we are we going to address climate concerns meaningfully? Do you think? I think we have to, Pamela, because if we have more of these weather events, it really threatens our financial stability. I mean, it wouldn't take much to take a financial institution, say in the U.S., down because they're too leveraged to a part of the country that got completely flooded. Right. 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 Like and a regional bank, for instance. Yes, exactly. Okay. And I know the Federal Reserve's asking, you know, financial institutions to run simulations. The Bank of Canada has asked that here. But still, you know, we've seen financial crises happen before. Okay. It wouldn't take a lot to have one come through uh, climate issues. So, yes, we absolutely have to take care of this. And that's without even looking at all the other considerations around climate and the damage it can do. Some great questions rolling in based on, on many of the things that you've been saying. So here's one. How do Canada's demographic changes compare with the rest of the world? I mean, we're not the only, they call it sort of a mushroom style. Right? Yeah, we're, no. not the, we're not the only one. But. We're a little bit older than the U.S. Yeah. They've had higher birth rates for about maybe 15 years now, maybe a little bit more. Canada has not tended. What's that due to? Um, different, there is different demographic groups yeah. having more children perhaps than in Canada here. Okay. Our birth rates just have stayed low. We're a little bit younger than, well, quite a bit younger than some European countries like Germany, mm -hmm. like France. But certainly much younger than Japan. Mm -hmm. But we are much older than other countries like, for example, the Philippines or India. Right, which are growing birth rates at yeah. a very, very high. Now, yeah. you don't just grow through having a young population. Obviously, you know, Canada grows, has grown through lots of things our productivity being one of them. But there was a time in, say, the 70s where we had lots of young people coming into the labor force. They were there to take jobs. They were also there to buy things. Right. Right? Once you get to a certain age, you're not buying things. You're getting rid of things, right? Yeah. And that's, that's what that is. <laughs> that's what that is. I have to keep purging. Okay. Purging, right? So uh, uh, there's an organic growth advantage to having a younger population. Right. So we don't have that advantage. We have to make it up a different way. That's the consumer in there. Here's another question. So is the tech infrastructure that's that's in place to 
accommodate ultimately a, a growing gig economy? Is it here, especially in rural areas? And you know, maybe it isn't. But what's the plan? I mean, what do you think the plan? Well, on paper, be? it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. uh, supposedly, there is going to be all these improvements being rolled out over the last the next few years. High I've speed the, trains, yeah, exactly, and bandwidth improvements and whatever yeah. from the Atlantic and other parts of the country. I don't know how quickly that will look to materialize. Hopefully, soon. Mm -hmm. And that, that opens up a lot of doors. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting, too, to see what jobs become remote. I was just reading that um, order taking in fast food mm -hmm. um, restaurants is becoming remote. That You don't have to have somebody inside the McDonald's. They can be anywhere. They can be anywhere. They can be anywhere to take your order and pass it on. So that's a whole new avenue. We hadn't thought of those jobs as being remote. We knew that we were going to be talking about AI. Here's the moment. How will AI impact the future of work? What what trends ultimately are you seeing there? Is it too early? But let's talk well, about it. Let's talk about it. You know what? It will impact it, right? We yeah. can't say it won't. Up to now, when I've talked about jobs that will be really changed and maybe replaced, it's tended to be like food prep or waiters or some of the service jobs. Now I think we've changed the discussion to being more white collar, which is not to say that those jobs will disappear, but they will be very different. So what's the relationship piece in there, the relationship that still sort of needs to be there? I think you have to figure that lots of parts of these jobs will be done by AI, and that's a good thing, right? Yeah. If you can have diagnoses done in hospitals and free doctors and nurses up for other things, be great, right? Yeah. Um, they're able to access more information. They're able to get an assist from some of these things. Mm -hmm. And we'll be able to you know, go through lots of information that will only be good for finance in general. Yeah. But, you know, we're looking at a different future. But we should remind ourselves, over history, technology has tended to create jobs and create wealth. Mm -hmm. It has not taken it away. Now, it could be that there's a lag period and we have to be ready for that. But it would be a really strong historical break if we didn't see that this time around. Do you think the financial industry, wealth managers in various different ways, are bringing in young people. We've heard someone recently on, on this show say that, that it's not bringing in people you know, straight out of the university in the way that it could. I, I'm biased because my whole family is in, in finance, but it seems like a great job. Why? What's the marketing job that needs to be done on saying, this is a very interesting career path? Okay, your whole family is in finance. I know. Are you talking so about Gen Z people uh, yeah. who are interested in finance? Yeah, in are, why, why don't they come and be wealth managers? Why not? Because I think Gen Z, or Gen Z, whatever you prefer, sees that as a job of a guy sitting in an office, wearing a suit, talking to some middle-aged person about their portfolio. You're that, so much cooler than that. Come I know on. you are, but maybe they don't know that, okay? <laughs> uh, it has to be sold that way. It uh, needs to be sold. It's a marketing job, literally. I think so, too. But, yeah. you know, it's a job that will use a lot of tech yeah. that will require a lot of different skills, including soft skills, and that will have a lot of challenges and be interesting. So it should be interesting. It should be. But I don't know that the image has caught up with that. Tell us a bit more about how the future of work will look. Okay, so the hybrid sort of that's that's sort of the the piece we know because we're living it. What else? Like, well, the hybrid, but you know, different degrees of hybrid. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it'll be like this ecosystem where you might have people coming in just working on a project. Some people refer to the Hollywood model again to talk about this. You know, the What's movie the Hollywood set. Model? Well, look at a movie set. When you see people there, you see the actors, you see the tech people, you see the makeup people. They're not employed, right? They come in and work on a project, and then they go back and work on project. a different project. Mm -hmm. So maybe more of us will do that. 
will work on projects. And it's not necessarily that attractive to everybody who wants to be paid every week, right. uh, but it is attractive to some. Right? We already see it with people really in-demand tech skills that can go from project to project maybe. And I think we'll see it other places, but it's gonna demand different skills too. How do you think within that, some of the relationships that you know, you know are very useful to make sure that you have are formed? I mean, does actually a trade union or, or does some other organization that ties us all together or is it actually just social media? I mean, is that, how, how do we sort of make sure that we're connected to people so that you get the next project job or you get the next piece within your long career? Well, I think tech will help with this. Yeah. Right now, maybe it's social media, but you know, there'll be lots of iterations of this. One is that at some point, it may be every bit of your information is stored somewhere digitally. Yeah. So anybody who wants to know about you doesn't look at your LinkedIn profile necessarily. They can look at something that you didn't put there that tells you everything about you. That brings up whole kinds of privacy issues sure. possibly, but it does uh, put out all the information about all of us for the wider world to see. Also, you know, this is more pedestrian maybe, but I think this is a future that's gonna be all about reviews. It already is, right? If you wanna to go to a restaurant, you might look it up yeah. and you can find out about it, see what people thought. We're only at the beginning of that for workers, mm. but I think, you know, we'll all be reviewed and people yeah. will know a lot about us, which really raises the whole education thing again. You were saying, you know, how we're educated. Education that you did 20 years ago is gonna matter a lot less than the review on the project you did last week. Right. You're only as good as your last project. I mean, yes. that, that's, that's been around for quite a long time. You wrote a book recently. Why did you write this particular book? Tell us the title and tell us a little bit about it. It's called Working, out, Working It Out, Getting Ready for the Redefined World of Work. And I had written a book on the future of work before the pandemic, and I got a lot of things right. But I thought, you know, after the pandemic, we're all thinking a little differently. Yeah. So let's make this more current. And it was something that organizations want to talk about because I'm out talking to conferences a lot. And this is top of mind for everyone. Yeah. What should we be getting ready for? What are the challenges? What are the big issues? And, you know, are there things we can do to prepare? Give us a taster of what are a couple of things that, that, that you suggest people who are asking these questions do. Well, I think organizations need to be constantly on top of this, looking at their needs, looking at who they will need. And that might mean firing people, but it also might mean retraining them. Right. It might be figuring out where you can hire the next branch of people. It'll be about if you're the kind of organization who wants to grow somebody through the ranks, figuring out what it takes to get that Gen Z worker to say they'll stay with you right. for the longer term. It also means changing the climate. We heard a lot about quiet quitting and you know, people You're not talking about, about rain, sun, sleet. You're talking about the climate, the, the work yes, environment. The, yes, the work yeah. environment. And you know, this is not a time for toxic environments. Yeah. And we've put up with that in a lot of places. But if you want to hold on to the best people and not have them quit, which is an expensive thing to happen, then you have to be actively educating your managers to manage this workforce, which is a whole other question because this is not the same workforce where everyone was in front of you. This is one where some are in front of you, some are somewhere else. How are you going to get the best performance and treat people properly? Yeah, that is absolutely fascinating. Okay, so let's let's go back a little bit to sort of the demographic story and ultimately how you think longer term some of this needs to be worked out. So immigration is clearly a very large piece of it to change the demographic pattern that we have right now. What else on the demographics front? I mean, 
you know, is, is healthcare a piece of that? What, what other pieces come in to change the demographics? Or is it just aging versus birth? Maybe it is. Well, I mean, demographics, we're not going to get rid of an older population, no. no matter how many people we bring in next year, right? We're bringing in hundreds of thousands, and yeah. we have millions of people who are getting past 65. So I think we have to get our minds around having an older society. Um, I think we have to get our minds around having an older workforce and accommodating that, mm -hmm. whether it's Provisors accommodating people who change their income profile as they age, mm -hmm. or whether it's actual uh, organizations figuring out how to accommodate older people who may not want to be there full time, but maybe you should have them there part of the time for their leadership. Yes. Tell me about leadership. So if you, so I've got kids, but and leadership training has always been something that obviously organizations do and look for leaders and so on. How also might that change or just become, I don't know, more important maybe? I think it's going to be more important. I don't think any of the leaders we have now have been trained to work with what we were getting in terms of the workforce to manage. And I also think maybe it needs to start at lower levels. We tend to think of training the C-suite or the people getting to the C-suite, but you want to train the people who are working with everyone. Right. And there's you know research that suggests that you get lots of benefits from doing that. But again, that's a leap because companies don't necessarily want to put the money into everybody mm. because of turnover. So you have to kind of change the mindset and say, right. we're training a workforce. We're not just training an individual. Right, right. For a country, essentially. Yes. A yes. workforce for a country. So does policy play a role there somehow? I think it does. I mean, maybe we need to think about different training credits and yeah. changing our tax credits. When you think about policy, Pamela, a lot of the policies we have in place were put there in the 1950s, right? Right, interesting. Right? Before yeah. a woman could even have a bank account without her husband's signature, right? right. That's right. a long time ago. So I think we need to rethink them for what we have now, this tech-driven future, a future where people don't necessarily work at one job for however long, where they take leaves, uh, where, you know, employment is different than it used to be. Yeah. So it's a rethinking of everything. It's a rethinking of everything. It's really fascinating to get your thoughts on all this. Is there is there kind of a, a final phrase that you'd like to leave with people just to, again, they're they're taking this in from how they're going to speak to their clients ultimately. What, what would you like to leave with them? Well, I would like to just reiterate, there is definitely a role for advisors in this future because yeah. people are going to need a lot of guidance through it. For sure. Right? And managing your money here is going to be challenging. And... A lot of information doesn't necessarily help you if you don't understand it. So uh, there's going to be absolutely uh, a need for all kinds of human skills. And also the other thought is that I'm still an optimist. I mean, sometimes people hear about tech and everything else and say, well, this is scary. I think we have opportunities here. And certainly as a country, we can be a leader. Okay, Linda Nazareth, it's lovely to see you again and to have a chance to hear all of your incredible thoughts for you know, what tomorrow and longer term look like. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pamela. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon on Pamela Ritchie. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.